This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligans website. Now, can you look at the Savage, too? He's driven into the turf. And, oh, that's, look at him, look at him. Now, that hurts. Anytime you get the hand shaking and stuff, you always worry about, did his helmet hit the back of the turf? Is there a potential for a concussion? We can't see it here because the ref is in the way. But anytime I see this with the stiffness and see the hand shaking, that is a potential concussion. Let's see the back of the helmet. See how it hits right there yeah. on the turf? Now here's your host, Alex Dreisick. This is Moose's Mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Streisack, here with episode 31. Good for you. Now, before we move on to our main topic of this episode, and that is the NFL, I wanted to go over a few viewer questions that came in and one viewer voicemail that came in, and uh, let's talk about it now. Yeah, I was actually wondering what you thought about Jack Morris getting into the Hall of Fame. So he doesn't even deserve to be getting initiated in the first place. Because I know for a fact that a lot of people are mad about his locker room incident in 1990. What's your opinion on that? God, jeez. Whew, where to start with this one? All right, let's start with a background on it. So Jack Morris and Alan Trammell were uh, elected to the Hall of Fame by the MLB's, it's called the Hall's Modern Era Committee. Uh, the writers didn't elect them, so... These people voted them into the Hall of Fame. And I think Jack Morris deserves to be in the Hall of Fame baseball-wise. We look at definitely at his baseball stats. I mean, he had a lot of seasons, over 200 innings. He had uh, three 20-win seasons, 254 career wins. I think he was a great pitcher for the Tigers. And, uh, you know, he finished his career with Minnesota, Toronto, and Cleveland. But he was an unbelievable pitcher for the Tigers for a long time. And I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And... Uh, the controversy circling him is that there was a story back in 1990. Uh, her name was Jennifer Frey. She was a summer intern for the Detroit Free Press, and uh, she came up to Morris after the last season. Uh, uh, he was in his last season with the Tigers, excuse me, and he came up to. She came up to Morris in the clubhouse, and she wanted to interview him. And he told her, "I don't talk to women when I'm naked unless they're on top of me or I'm on top of them." <laughs> That's a quote. Okay. So, first of all, this is 1990. It's a little different. Women's sports writers were still coming into the world of sports writing. So there weren't really rules about locker rooms. Uh, women reporters would be, honestly, in the locker room with naked men everywhere. And, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of harassment that went on then. That's starting to come out now. I know there was a Peyton Manning story, but I don't really associate this to this. The way I see Jack Morris's quote, because I've been around a lot of locker rooms, he was telling her nice. Well, I mean, some people wouldn't say as nicely. He was telling her, "Look, I'll do the interview when I have clothes on." Let's say it that way. That I'm not going to do an interview with a woman reporter in the locker room where I'm basically naked. And a lot of people are mad because it's a sexual harassment term. But I, I mean, I'm sure I, I'm sure they already have this with the press these days now, where they have designated areas for the interviews and stuff, so this doesn't happen. But I mean, in 1990, there definitely wasn't anything like that. I mean, reporters would come in and out of the locker room, and 
they're going to say there's a sexist side to this that, you know, oh, if men can go into the locker room and interview them, why can't we? No, I don't think men should go in the locker room either to interview athletes. I think, I think there should be a time for the athlete to be in the locker room, shower, get his stuff together, get dressed even before he gets interviewed, and then go do the interview. So it should be outside of the locker room, like a designated interview area. I, I mean, I wouldn't want my team being interviewed while they're in the locker room. That's their time to get changed, shower and reflect on what just happened in the game. So I don't think that should hold Jack Morris out of the Hall of Fame. Not at all. And I, I, I'm kind of disappointed in the writers for not electing him in the first place. The good news is this opens the door to Mike Messina, and I definitely want to see him in the Hall of Fame. You're damn right. So this is kind of going to be like a special edition episode. Uh, we're going to look at the article that I posted this last week. You can go to moosesmulligans.weebly.com to see the article you go to our tab titled articles click on the articles and you'll see the first one that pops up right now is called the death of the nfl and i really wanted to talk about it here so you go to the page and there's the cover of sports illustrated and this was the latest cover that sports illustrated had posted at the beginning of this week and really i always say a picture is worth a thousand words pretty generic saying but this year, this picture could almost give you a thousand names of injured NFL players. In the picture, you just see all the different uniforms of NFL players who got hurt this year. And it's, it's, they have a cart driving off a player. They have a player laying down with a trainer. It's, it's just a very vivid picture that they did. And I, I thought it was spoke very highly of how the NFL season has been. So... I don't think injuries are the only reason the NFL is in the downward spiral that it's in right now, but it has gone a long way into it. And it's sad, but sometimes the truth hurts and we got to look at it. On the offensive side, we've lost Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer, Aaron Rodgers, David Johnson, Dalvin Cook, Chris Thompson, Odell Beckham Jr., Julian Edelman, Brandon Marshall, Martellus Bennett, Tyler Eifert, Joe Thomas, Jason Peters, Andrew Whitworth, DJ Humphreys, Mikey Upati, TJ Lang. These are all guys that are very talented for what position they play. They're leaders at their position. They're Pro Bowl caliber. And then we look at the defensive side, and we can't say that injuries are just on the offensive side because we've lost J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless, Cliff Averill, Jarrell Freeman, Jamie Collins Sr., Avante's uh, Perfect, Zach Brown, Thomas Davis, Eric Berry, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, Patrick Peterson, Jason Verrett, and of course, there was that horrible injury of Ryan Shazier with his back and spine, which we're still waiting for more details on. The only trend I'm really starting to notice in football is that the most exciting players to watch are the most explosive off the ball. They're the players that awe us. They have the speed, the strength, the athleticism. But being that quick and explosive comes at a price in the sport. Being that quick and that strong is like a runaway train hitting each other multiple times a game, and eventually one slip, one mishit is just too much for their bodies to handle. And a lot of the injuries we see are so severe that those players may never be the same caliber they were before. Or they may have problems later in life with this injury, or both. And all of these injuries, we're, we're stuck watching second and third strings like Blaine Gabbert and Joe Webb, and it's 
ridiculous in my mind. We're watching these players that can't make that exciting play. Like, would you rather watch Dalvin Cook or Latavius Murray? Aaron Rodgers or Brett Hundley? Deshaun Watson or Tom Savage? Actually, it's TJ Yates now. Because Tom Savage, against the 49ers last week, got hit as he threw. And if you haven't seen this, go on our article so you can see the video. He starts to shake like he's having a seizure in the end zone. The worst part is that Tom Savage would stay in the game for the next series for the Texans. I strongly suggest you watch the video. It's just hard to believe with the amount of cameras and technology the NFL claims to have that they use to keep the players safe that something like this could happen. I mean, the announcers knew it right away. They were mentioning it on national TV so the national audience knew about it. And he went back out there and everyone was fine with him playing a whole series. Just the truth is that injuries are dominating the league. It was bugging me so much. I researched the numbers entering week 15 of the NFL season, and I took a look at every NFL roster and showed each team's starting lineup. So 11 starters on offense, 11 starters on defense. That's 22 in total. Good thing I'm going to college. I can add that up. And if every player was healthy, here are the numbers I got, that the NFL average team has 62% of their starters still starting entering week 15. So... That number's a lot lower than I thought it would be. If you took that percentage, and you also looked at the caliber of players missing, the Pro Bowl caliber players that are not playing, because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, are the exciting players being on the field to play the game. It would be the equivalent of like the Yankees missing Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, Araldis Chapman, Tanaka, and Robertson all out for the rest of the year. That ratio of talented players missing would translate to a 25-man baseball roster like that. Looking at the NBA with less of a roster size, it would be like watching the Celtics without Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, and Jason Tatum. It would be miserable, let's just be honest. To lose that many talented players that contributed to your team, I mean, in football we see star players dropping like flies and we're supposed to go on watching... Laddie Murray and Nick Foles like nothing's wrong I'm, I don't think so I don't th- I, I just it's just it's not just that we've seen so many injuries I feel like we've seen so many more severe injuries they're just taking seasons and careers the amount of Pro Bowl caliber NFL players on the IR this year is just troubling and I feel like the players used to go out for only a week or two and now they're having season ending se- injuries all the time whether it's the new rules of monitoring the injuries or the technology we have to correctly identify these injuries, I, I don't know. All I know is that a lot of very good football players we will not see on the re- uh, for the rest of the season or some of them we may not ever see again. I know Darren Sproles had a very severe injury and people like Ryan Shazier had a very severe injury. It's a very scary thing. But the scariest thing in football has been chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is CTE. For people like me who aren't science majors, it makes it easier for us to say it. It's pretty much a fact that players in the past suffer from this neurodegenerative disease, and it's now been studied to be properly diagnosed, but you usually don't know you have it until after you're dead. And the examples to show what the struggle for CTE have been Dave Dorson, Junior Seau, and now Aaron Hernandez. You know, Dave Dorison committed suicide with a gunshot to the chest in 2011 and left a suicide note saying that he wanted his brain studied for brain trauma. 
Well, Boston University confirmed that Duerson suffered from CTE due to the concussions he received during his playing career. Junior Seau unfortunately took his own life as well, and this was in 2012 in Oceanside, California. He had suffered with insomnia for at least seven years of his life, and in 2013, the Seau family released the medical studies that showed he was suffering from CTE brain damage. Aaron Hernandez is the most recent tragic story, obviously, of this, where he was a young player coming up for the New England Patriots. You had Rob Gronkowski, who was a stud. You had Hernandez, who was a stud. Even Belichick was playing Hernandez in the backfield. It was awesome to watch. But the sad thing is Hernandez had struggles off the field with bar fights and multiple shooting allegations. And in April of 2015, he was found guilty of murder in the first degree in Massachusetts, which is life in prison with no possibility of parole. Now, it is sad what we saw in reaction from the NFL. You know, a young player who had unbelievable rookie year with the Patriots. Everything was supposed to be forgotten, what he did, and what he did at University of Florida. They took everything down. The saddest part is that in April of 2017, Hernandez was found hanging in a cell by correctional officers and was pronounced dead an hour later at the hospital. And Hernandez was only 27 years old. His family requested that Hernandez's brain be studied at Boston University as well for uh, signs of CTE. And then in September of 2017, not too long ago, we learned that Hernandez had been suffering from stage three out of four CTE, which is one stage away from full-blown dementia at age 27 we're talking about here. It's difficult for me to see a long-term future for a sport where their players don't have a long-term future themselves without difficulties their whole long-term future. That's so sad. And I don't think it's the health issues alone affecting the league. I, there are other issues affecting them that we're going to get into right after the break here on Moose's Mulligans. This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligans website. Well, obviously, something had to break the window. Something had to hit the stereo. And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. Now here's your host, Alex Dreisick. Back here on Moose's Mulligans, I'm your host Alex Streisak, as we're here at episode 31 talking about uh, the possible death of the NFL. I know it's rough for some of the NFL fans to hear it, but I'm just trying to lay out some of the facts we've seen and honestly where the league's going from here. We had talked a lot about already about injuries and the short-term and long-term effect it's having on these players and the short careers they have, but... I also want to look at the game itself here. A lot of Americans love football because it's the easiest sport to watch without really paying attention. And I know that stings a little bit to say, but there's 30 seconds of nothing happening except a replay. And then there's three to five seconds of action. And if anything exciting happens for those three to five seconds, the announcer or a sudden increase in crowd noise can draw viewers' attention back to the game. But where this game is starting to lose me is when I wait 30 seconds for that quick three-second play. And that play didn't even happen because of a holding penalty. Illegal formation, false start, encroachment, or ironically, a delay a game. And if any of you watched the Chiefs-Raider game back on Week 7, the article has a video for it, by the way. If 
you go to moosesmulligans.weebly.com, then articles, you can see the last 30 seconds of the Chiefs-Raiders game from Week 7, which I thought was hilarious. The NFL called the video, a series of unbelievable plays caps off the Raiders' game-winning drive. And I said, the only thing unbelievable is how much laundry was on the field. And you start to think about it, and you you know, when there's a lot of penalties in a game, a team's going to feel cheated out of it. So I just thought whoever didn't win this game was just going to feel cheated because we had a game-winning touchdown overturned and brought back to, the, I think it was the two-yard line. Then we had a game-ending play, and it was a penalty, so then it moved the Raiders for another shot, and then the Raiders scored a touchdown, but then there was an offensive penalty, and then the Chiefs stopped them, and then there was a defensive penalty, and finally we got to a play without any flags, but honestly, Michael Crabtree looked like he pushed off a Terrence Mitchell, in my opinion, and it should have been another freaking penalty. The whole point is that the game should never come down to those points when it's decided by a referee, like in Oakland that night and the amount of time wasted sorting out penalties has just gone too far in football for me and especially you know they I'm not gonna get into how they spot the ball that's another thing that drives me nuts and you know it's just anyway it just looks chaotic to me every time a penalty any every time a penalty flag is thrown it just looks chaotic to me and it wastes two minutes of my day and I can do the simple math on this you got 30 seconds plus a five second play plus 50 seconds to sort out the penalty, plus 30 more seconds of standing, plus 5 seconds of the play, minus me watching the game, and that's one play in football. If I didn't have an NFL Sunday ticket to switch back and forth, I, I honestly don't know how much I'd be watching right now, and that's just the sad truth. But I do love sports, and so that's why I'm interested in having this discussion too. But the NFL is not doing themselves any favors either, because we've seen a lot of attitude issues from its players. I'm not talking about taking a knee at the National Anthem. I want to get that out there first. This action definitely hasn't helped the NFL, by the way, as people are protesting it alone on this action. People are asking for season tickets back. And whenever, like, NFL Sunday ticket has to have a promo where you can get refunded because of them taking a knee, that's probably not a good thing for the league. But what I'm talking about are the things that happened, like the Ray Rice elevator incident, where there was footage of him beating his fiance. Adrian Peterson accused of hitting his four-year-old son in the private parts. And I'm also talking about Colin Kaepernick wearing cop pig socks and a Fidel Castro t-shirt while playing against the Miami Dolphins in Miami. The, the real problem is that these problems aren't going away. The season we, we saw a fight between uh, Michael Crabtree and Aqib Tlaib. That's what it was. It was uh, Raiders and Broncos, and it was just embarrassing to the league. We saw just... An ugly fight where they broke up the fight and then Crouchy and Tlaib kept going at it. And Then we saw a cheap shot from Michael Bennett of the Seahawks this last week, who's apparently supposed to be a big-time leader in these player movements, by the way. And this led to a fight between the Jaguars and the Seahawks. Seahawks had Sheldon Richardson and Brady Henderson ejected. And then just to make things worse, as they got ejected, Jefferson tried to climb into the bleachers to fight a fan who apparently threw some adult beverages at him. Either way, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's a bad look for the NFL recently, and uh, there's just no signs of it changing. How do I know it's not changing? Because the NFL just re-signed Commissioner Roger Goodell to a contract of $200 million about for five years. Yeah, this contract was not met with the warmest regards for Jerry Jones, as the owner of the Cowboys was trying to rally the rest of the league. I'm going to go with Jerry on this one. <laughs> I don't know what the commissioner's done to deserve the rehire. He said he's tried to make the game safer and failed. The game's got more penalties, more ejections. It's much slower. And he's tried to address the off-the-field issues and failed because 
Now we have more on-the-field issues than anything. And, you know, it's all a mess unless we start looking at it the other way. Maybe he was re-signed because the NFL wanted it to go this way. I'll get into it in a second. The, the real thing is also the worst part of the league right now is the NFL is losing the youth of the game. Parents are shying away from letting their kids play this game because of the health issues and the rough rep that the NFL has kind of had lately. And, you know, ask baseball how important it is to have the youth involved in the game. I mean, they're still in a major overhaul to appeal to younger people in the United States and internationally. They see the importance in that. But there's a chart on the article uh, that shows how the regular season viewership's gone down. And I can only imagine what 2017 is going to look like at the end of the year. And, you know, maybe... I'm looking at this the wrong way. Maybe the NFL is going the way it wants to go. We're frustrated with the NFL because of the way it's we think it should be going and how it's failing to get there. Maybe that's because they're not trying to go the way we want them to go. Maybe they see it as a gladiator fight. A lot of people say, screw it. Just say, hey, you're going to fly at your own risk when you play the sport to make millions of dollars. But the problem I have with this is when we look at the gladiators, back in you know roman times it was slaves that were the fighting gladiators it wasn't like a choice is what i'm trying to say it wasn't like hey mom i'm gonna go be a gladiator that's what i want to be when i grow up no it was people they forced people to be gladiators and they put them at very strong disadvantages in the coliseum and it was for entertainment now this is different because we have these human beings that are playing this sport for a living and we need to take care of the players the best we can and maybe the nfl's just given up on it, in my opinion maybe they're trying to be like the xfl <laughs> like maybe they'll actually try to make that a real thing you know just more cheerleaders and skirts and more hard hits you know maybe a little hybrid on the xfl and the, the nfl seems all right going in that direction because they just re-signed their commissioner either way that's about all i got on the nfl right now they're not going in the direction I want them to go in, but I don't think they can go in the direction I go in because of the way the sport's played, I don't think it can go that way without losing a half of its viewership either way. Make sure to check out the article on this to see uh, the in-depth numbers on some of this stuff with the NFL. If you go to moosesmulligans.weebly.com and then articles, uh, you should see the death of NFL in the top right there. Check out our power rankings while you're there, too. Why not? <laughs> Keep you busy. But that's all the time we have for this week. For next week, it's going to be a happy holiday season, and we're going to take the week off here at Moose's Mulligans, and we appreciate you being patient to wait two weeks for this awesome show. So looking at my calendar here, uh, we'll see you December 31st on New Year's Eve, and uh, have a happy holidays. And remember for golfing over the holiday season fairways and greens no mulligans i'm your host alex streisack we'll see you next week oh excuse me caught myself we'll see you in two weeks right here on moose's mulligans